Welcome to Better Edge, a Northwestern medicine podcast for physicians. I'm Melanie Cole, and joining me today is Dr. Ezra Teitelbaum. He's an assistant professor of surgery at Northwestern Medicine, and he's here to highlight surgical options for GERD. Dr. Teitelbaum, it's a pleasure to have you with us today and as we discuss GERD. And we've all read studies that have come out raising concerns about medications that are used to treat it. But those studies really only demonstrate an association, not necessarily cause and effect relationship, right? When is surgery the discussion and what do patients have had to try before you will offer some of the options we're going to discuss here today? Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for having me. Obviously, as everyone knows, acid reflux, GERD is an extremely common problem, depending on how you define it, 10 to 30% of Americans have GERD, have symptoms of heartburn, uh, fluid regurgitation. And the first step in treatment is usually a clinical diagnosis based on symptoms. And then patients are started on a trial of medical therapy, usually with a PPI, proton pump inhibitor. And it's common that patients come to me with concerns about PPI potential long-term side effects. As you mentioned, I try to reassure patients that as far as we know, and we have a vast body of evidence and data on this, PPIs are very safe to use long-term. There's really been no causal link at all between PPIs and some of the more significant or worrisome side effects that some large database studies have shown weak associations between PPIs, including osteoporosis, chronic kidney disease, and even dementia. So I try to reassure patients that overall we think these medications are very safe to be on long-term, and really that should not influence the clinical treatment of these patients long-term. So for the most part, patients wanting to be free of medications long-term is rarely an indication for surgery. But the patients who may benefit from surgery are the patients who have refractory symptoms despite medical therapy. So patients who have been on PPIs and still have significant bothersome symptoms. PPIs are extremely effective at treating heartburn, but the symptom of fluid regurgitation, especially regurgitation when laying down in bed, is a a symptom that is not as responsive to PPI therapy. So it's often those patients with bothersome regurgitation symptoms that are best suited for a surgical intervention for reflux. Well, thank you for telling us about patient selection and those that are refractory to medicational intervention. So tell us a little bit about evaluation prior to reflux surgery and anti-reflux surgery. Speak about that patient selection and what goes on with the evaluation to get them ready, and then we'll talk about some of the options. This is something that is done usually with a collaboration with a gastroenterologist who obviously work extremely closely on evaluating and treating patients with GERD. And I think there's been a push definitely at Northwestern to have patients be evaluated much sooner in their course of GERD, especially if they have refractory symptoms. So kind of instead of putting a patient on medication and waiting for maybe years while they have some refractory symptoms, those patients who have refractory symptoms or have atypical symptoms to evaluate them much sooner. And that's for a couple of reasons. One is to make sure there's not some underlying different etiology of the patient's symptoms, like an esophageal motility disorder, uh, like achalasia, esophageal cancer, something separate that's actually the cause of the patient's symptoms. And then the second is to actually confirm with physiologic testing 
that the patient really does have reflux. And then to do an evaluation, if we're thinking about anti-reflux surgery, to see what options would be best for an individual patient and make sure that they'll be optimized and we're picking patients who will have the best outcomes. In terms of that evaluation, it always involves doing an upper endoscopy. And then we try early on to really solidify the diagnosis of reflux. And that's done with doing a pH monitoring study with a patient usually stopping PPI. And that will confirm the diagnosis so we know that the patient actually does have pathologic reflux. Other things we commonly do prior to surgery are some type of imaging modality to define the anatomy of the esophagus, define any hiatal or parasophageal hernia. That's typically with an upper GI esophagram or a CAT scan. And then the last thing is to evaluate the motility of the esophagus, both to rule out a motility disorder like achalasia and evaluate the peristalsis of the esophageal body to make sure that's strong enough for the patient to undergo an anti-reflux surgery without being at risk of developing dysphagia or other symptoms postoperatively. And that's done with high-resolution manometry. The gastroenterologist, esophageal specialists at Northwestern have been pioneers in the development of high-resolution manometry and how we interpret those studies. The classification system is called the Chicago Classification System based on those pioneering gastroenterologists at Northwestern, Peter Carillis and John Pandolfino. And so that's an important part of evaluating the patients preoperatively. The gastroenterologists are using a new technology called endoflip or flip that can be used at the point of care at the time of endoscopy to evaluate esophageal motility. And that's kind of an interesting area of research as to whether that can be used in an assessment to rule out achalasia and other motility disorders prior to consideration of anti-reflux surgery, because that would be a lot easier for patients if they could just have a flip performed at the time of their endoscopy while they're sedated and not have to undergo a manometry, which is an excellent test, but unfortunately it is an uncomfortable test for the patient to undergo because it involves passing a catheter down the nose while the patient is awake. So those are kind of new advances in the evaluation of patients that are very exciting and might make this evaluation a lot easier for patients to undergo. What a comprehensive evaluation that is. And it's also really cool that Chicago was the pioneers at Northwestern Medicine. We love to hear that. So now let's talk about some of the surgical and endoscopic options that there are for the treatment of reflux. Speak about the surgeries, the procedures that you perform at Northwestern Medicine. Most anti-reflux procedures are surgical. They do involve a surgery. There are some endoscopic options. So procedures that are performed purely with endoscopy without incisions. Probably the most effective is something called transoral incisionless fundoplication or TIF. So that's a procedure that's currently being performed by one of the interventional gastroenterologists here, Sri Komandori, who's a world-renowned expert in reflux and specifically Barrett's esophagus and interventions for those diseases. And so the TIF procedure involves creating a valve at the lower esophageal sphincter by folding the stomach onto the esophagus, similar to what we would do during surgery, but done completely endoscopically. So that's a very good and very minimally invasive uh, option for some patients. The main limitation of the TIF procedure is that it can't be performed on patients with a significant hiatal hernia or certainly with those with a paraesophageal hernia. So it's really reserved for patients with reflux 
with bothersome symptoms, but no significant hiatal hernia. So many of those patients who I see, I refer to Dr. Komanduri for consideration of a TIF procedure. For patients with a significant hiatal hernia or parasophageal hernia, those are probably most of the patients who have severe reflux that would require an intervention because the hiatal hernia is a main mechanism by which the reflux is caused. So those patients require a surgery because we have to reduce the hiatal hernia or bring the stomach back into a normal anatomic location that can only be done with a surgery. So these are surgeries that are almost uniformly done with laparoscopic surgery, typically five small incisions, each less than a centimeter in size. And the surgery involves fixing any hiatal hernia and then performing some type of anti-reflux procedure to recreate a valve effect at the lower esophageal sphincter. And that can be done in one of two main ways. The more traditional way is to perform a fundoplication, and that's basically done by wrapping the upper part of the stomach, the fundus, around the esophagus. That can be either done all the way around, 360 degrees. That's what's referred to as a Nissen fundoplication that's commonly talked about, or part of the way around where the stomach is wrapped not 360 degrees, but rather 270 or 180 degrees around the esophagus. Common partial fundoplications that are done are uh, toupee fundoplications and door fundoplications. Those are the two most common. And it's interesting because this kind of surgical practice, both at Northwestern and around the United States, has really evolved in the last five, 10 years, shifting more from the complete fundoplications, the Nissen, to more of the partial fundoplications. And the reason for that is there's been a lot of studies that have come out more recently that have shown that both partial and complete fundoplications are actually equally efficacious in preventing reflux. So in terms of forming an effective barrier to reflux, they work just as well. And both are excellent reflux barriers. So 90 to 95% of patients will not have reflux after the procedure. But we've also found that the partial fundoplication has less unwanted side effects, specifically dysphagia and gas bloating, than when compared to the Nissen fundoplication. So we've kind of shifted more to the partial fundoplications for the vast majority of patients. So that's one option, the fundoplication. And then another newer option is to use a prosthetic device called the Lynx device in place of a fundoplication to create that anti-reflux barrier. The Lynx device, it looks like a bracelet. It's made of these magnetic beads that are placed on a wire to connect them. And that bracelet is placed around the esophagus. So the esophagus kind of like the wrist in that analogy. And the beads are magnetically attracted to one another so they stay closed and that prevents reflux throughout the day. But then when you swallow a food bolus or the patient belches, there's enough force generated to pop the magnets apart so the food bolus can pass through. So this was developed in an effort to try to limit the side effects of anti-reflux surgery, the same ones I mentioned, both dysphagia, feeling like food is getting stuck, or gas bloating, air trapping inside the stomach, and an inability to belch or vomit. The caveat is that the patient has to have normal esophageal motility on manometry in order to generate enough pressure to push a food bolus past the Lynx device and not have the patient develop dysphagia. So it kind of is an option to consider for some patients who kind of meet those strict criteria based on esophageal motility. It's one option in the 
overall armamentarium of options we have for patients with reflux. And I always tell patients that there's really no one best option. There's just pros and cons to all these different options. So we obviously go through a very extensive discussion of how the options compare and based on each specific patient situation and also what their goals are for the therapy, for the procedure, which specific option would be the best for them individually. That was an incredible array of options and descriptions. Dr. Teitelbaum, thank you. That was excellent. And you're speaking to other physicians. What would you like the key takeaway to be about referral and how they are counseling their patients and gastroenterologists listening, counseling their patients in terms of recovery outcomes? You've covered all of this and even patient selection and how you decide which ones to do in that conversation that you do have with patients. What would you like other providers to take away from this wide array of options available at Northwestern Medicine? I think the key takeaway is that now we've kind of evolved in our thinking about reflux in terms of moving towards earlier diagnostic testing. And I think in the past, a lot of times, because proton pump inhibitors are so effective for many patients, that a lot of times patients got put on PPIs and then often kind of lingered with bothersome symptoms for years despite PPIs because the PPIs were assumed to be uniformly effective. So if they didn't work, well, then maybe there was nothing we could do or the patient's symptoms were attributed to maybe something else or were thought to be functional symptoms. So I think very important is just very close monitoring of PPI therapy when it started. And then very early referral to gastroenterology or for gastroenterologists, early workup of symptoms that are refractory. If the patient is having bothersome symptoms despite PPI therapy, that's really something that needs to be investigated early on. And the sooner we can do that, the better, because that will rule out other etiologies. We may be incorrect in a clinical diagnosis that the patient has a reflux. It could be achalasia or something else. And also, if the patient does have reflux and their symptoms are still bothersome, that early evaluation can prompt referral to a surgeon for at least consideration of all the options we have available for both surgical or endoscopic interventions to help with those refractory symptoms. What an informative podcast this was. Thank you so much, Dr. Teitelbaum, for joining us today. To refer your patient or for more information, you can visit our website at breakthroughsforphysicians.nm.org gastro to get connected with one of our providers. That concludes this episode of Better Edge, a Northwestern medicine podcast for physicians. For updates on the latest medical advancements, breakthroughs, and research, just like you heard here, please follow us on your social channels, I'm Melanie Cole.